The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. So please remain standing, turning in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. We continue in our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 7. This morning's text is... uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. We'll complete the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And so let's look at the Word together and worship the Lord by giving careful attention to this, the public reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house On the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Thus far, the the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his blessing upon that word this morning. How we do indeed bless you, O Lord God, for your a word that comes to us, and we pray that as it comes, it would come with your blessing. Father, would you come and open up our eyes, indeed, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Would you guide us by your Spirit into all truth and cause us to take that truth and be uh, obedient to it, applying it to our lives, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I wonder how many of us here are old enough to remember the, uh, the E.F. Hutton commercials of the 1970s. Any of you remember that? With apologies to the younger ones. The funny commercials, sometimes there might be two men talking together about their uh, financial investments. And one says, well, my, my broker says that such and such might be a really good investment. And the other would say, and he'd ask the question, and what does your broker say? And he'd say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says... 
And suddenly at those magical words, it would be dead silence, the camera would pan out, didn't matter where they were, a busy airport, restaurant, even at a parade, you'd find that suddenly everyone stopped and was listening to hear, and then suddenly that brilliant slogan, when E.F. Hutton talks, do you remember? No one remembers? (laughs) People listen, thank you. I wondered if that would fall completely flat this morning as it... (laughs) Here I am, I remembered it 40 years later. I was just a, a child, and I uh, wouldn't have been able to tell you much about EF Hutton, didn't think much about investments, but I thought to myself, wow, this must be someone important, someone powerful, someone who speaks important words. And, and indeed, that was the, the message they were seeking to impress upon the hearers. When this one speaks, you better listen for a modern equivalent to those of you who don't know a, yeah, thought maybe when Elon Musk tweets, the market listens, right? <laughs> but, the, but the message was, you better seriously listen to this one. If you know what's good for you, financially speaking, tune in and listen. And in some ways, what was humorously depicted in those commercials is what was kind of going on in the days of Christ when he was speaking these words. I think it's reflected in those last two verses of our text, which, as I mentioned, mark kind of the conclusion to all of his words, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 28 and 29. We see that it's like jaws were dropping to the ground, as it were, as people were were just amazed by the authority. It was like nothing that they had ever heard, nothing like the scribes. And I think that did sound the message when Jesus speaks People listen. Are you listening? Are you listening to his words this morning? But actually, we see that it's not only a matter of listening, is it? Not only in those concluding two verses, but in our entire text this morning, we see that it's really about responding to the word, responding rightly. The real question before us is, have you responded? How have you responded? How do you respond to the word of Christ, to his teaching of the kingdom and the ethics of the kingdom as we've heard it. That's the common theme then which runs through this text. If you look at it, you you see that we have four units or four sketches which then lead up to that two-verse conclusion, and all four units speak to this, this theme, this matter of responding to our Lord's words of the kingdom. Our message this morning is simply this. King Jesus teaches us how to respond to his word. We're going to unpack that message with three points this morning. For our first point, we'll consider the importance of rightly responding to the word. Secondly, we'll consider what is the wrong response to the word. And then lastly, we'll consider what is the right response to the word. So consider consider first then that first point, the importance of rightly responding to the word. This is a, a passage which so powerfully dispels that that lie, lie of the devil we sometimes hear, the world thinks this way, where we're all the children of God, right? Everyone's in the same category. Christ's teaching of the kingdom reminds us that there is a, a line which divides the human race. There are those who are in the kingdom, and there are those who are not in the kingdom. And we see the stark contrast there brought out in all four of the sections I just mentioned So that first section, verses 13 and 14, we see the contrast is a contrast between those who have entered through the narrow gate or the wide gate. It's a contrast between the hard way and the easy way. So either you are on one or the other, either either on the easy way or the hard way. 
Second section, verses 15 through 20, we see the contrast there between two trees. There are healthy trees which bear good fruit, and there are diseased ones which bear bad fruit. Either you are a good tree or you are a, either a healthy tree or a diseased tree. Third section, verses 21 through 23, we see the contrast between those who do the will of God and those who do not, the, the lawless ones. In fact, we see in verse 23 that it, what it really boils down to for us is that, that there are those who know Christ and there are those who do not know Christ. That's so critically important. We'll return to that. But then the fourth section, verses 24 through 27, we see that it's, it's a contrast between that wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And so we see that, that, that recurring contrast And we see that that contrast is not only about one's present status, but where is one going? Where will one end up? And so in the first section, which gate you have chosen, which path you are on determines whether you will go to destruction or unto life. Second section, which tree you are and therefore which kind of fruit you bear will determine whether in the end you will stand or whether you will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Third section, whether you have known Christ will determine whether in the end you enter into the kingdom or whether you hear those dreadful words, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Fourth section, where you are building will determine whether in the end your house, as it were, whether you yourself will withstand the rain, the flood, the winds, the storm of the judgment of God or whether you will fall. So you think about this, friends, that the stakes really could not be any higher, could they? Do you see how critically important it is? Are you listening? Are you responding rightly to the word of Christ? What an important word for us. What an important word for those here this morning who perhaps never have responded to the word of Christ. You've never turned to him in true repentance and faith. How critically important it is that you do so urgently even today, but all of us, we need to hear this. When Jesus speaks, people listen, right? At least they better listen well, respond rightly. You think about this uh, current uh, volatile economic uh, market. People are paying good attention, right? Thinking about their investment. What's going to happen? Is everything going to go crashing down? And so they're listening and wanting to respond rightly. At least many are, and perhaps rightly so. But brothers and sisters, I hope we see that that how you respond to the word of Christ is of infinitely greater importance, far more important this morning than how your stocks might be performing, right? This is your eternal portfolio. This is about heaven or hell. This is about where you will spend all eternity. Will you be eternally saved or lost? Again, the critical issue is, have you responded? And really, the critical issue is, do you know him? Do you truly know him? Do you know Christ this morning? Well, why is that issue so critical? Well, once again, this is all also, this is a text about who he is. This is a text which brings such high Christology. It teaches us about Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the, the fulfillment of all that the word, all that the Lord has spoken. Last time our text ended with that, that wonderful summary of the law and the prophets, what we know is the golden Rule, But we notice that Jesus does not 
merely speak the truth about the law, even the old covenant revelation. He really rightfully claims ownership. He claims ownership over its administration. He does not direct us to go back and receive the law from the hand of Moses. No, instead, you notice those words, my words. These are my words. We see that in the fourth section twice, verses 24 and 26, our sermon title, who hears these words of mine. Not only as eternal God, the son, the one who actually created Moses and gave him the law, but also by virtue of that work which he would come and do as the God-man, the Messiah, his death, his resurrection. He would be raised from the dead and he would assume all authority. All authority has now been given to him even as he comes to us and speaks to us his word this morning. So indeed, how you listen, how you respond to that word is of such critical importance. Let's think on that more by by thinking about how wrongly to respond. That's our second point. Our Lord teaches, teaches us what is the wrong response to the word. And in a general way, I think we can say that he teaches us about hearing but not responding, but he also teaches us about hearing and responding wrongly. That word do, uh, doing, the, the Greek word poieo is, is an important one in this passage one that occurs several times throughout the text. In some cases, it's obscured because, uh, uh, because our English idiom, we, we don't speak of trees doing fruit, right? But that's the same Greek word used in verses 17, 18, and 19, where we learn that, that healthy trees do good fruit, or they produce or bear good fruit. Diseased trees do bad fruit. Verse 21, Jesus speaks of the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Interestingly, at the end of verse 22, we see the word again, but there it's, it's those who will not enter into the kingdom of heaven who are speaking those, the, those words, Lord, did we not do, did we not do many mighty works in your name? We will look more at that. But then down in verses 24 and 26, we read about the contrast between that one who hears the words of Christ and does them versus that one who hears those same words but does not do them. So clearly those who who do the word are, are commended. They're commended in contrast with those who do not do the word. And friends, just think about that this morning, how important it is that we Uh, be those who are doing the word, what what danger there is for those who hear the word but do not do. It makes you think about just how many people might be sitting in church this morning here and will all around the world be, be sitting and hearing the word of God, but they'll do nothing in terms of responding, in terms of taking that word and applying it to their lives. I wonder if there might be some even here this morning in that category. Even worldly wisdom tells us there's no value in simply listening, right? It did you no good if you were listening to E.F. Hutton but did nothing in terms of taking care of your, your finances. Or think about, uh, think about by, by way of illustration, the days of Noah. As Noah was building that ark and preaching of the coming judgment upon the world, its destruction, what good did it do those two who simply heard the word but they did nothing? Nothing by way of finding their place in that ark, or to use the words of of Christ in this text, they failed to enter into that narrow gate, that path, 
which leads to life. So easy, really easy to find your way to that path that leads to destruction. It's wide, it's spacious, plenty of room there. In the days of Noah, there was plenty of space for those who wished to simply remain in the world and come under the coming judgment, be swept away by the flood. They didn't have to do anything, did they? The truth is they'd already done plenty, plenty to show themselves deserving of such judgment. And friends, that's what we are doing if we are those who hear the word but we do nothing, nothing by way of responding, nothing by way of uh, putting into practice what we hear. To do so is to be as that, that foolish man in verse 26, the one who Jesus says, hears these words of mine but does not do them. He's that foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And surely this, this speaks to that one who hears the gospel and does not respond in repentance and faith, the one who does not even profess to do so, the one who by his or her own profession rejects the word of Christ. But it also speaks to that one who professes to believe but does not respond in true obedience, obe- obedience to the commandments of Christ. James teaches us, doesn't he? James chapter, chapter 2, that, that faith apart from or faith without works is useless or dead. And so we see the danger then of responding by, by hearing but not doing. But we also see the danger of hearing but responding with wrongdoing. Responding with wrongdoing while claiming to be doing. So there are those who claim to be doing the word of Christ But in fact, it is a false claim. Here's where it comes in, and I think it hits a bit closer to home, right? These these warnings about, are warnings about what would actually be happening among the community of those who profess faith, among those who are uh, professing to be under the lordship of Christ. Jesus warns of the the false prophets, second section there, verse 15. The, The diseased trees, which are particularly in view, are are those who not only claim to be responding, receiving the word of Christ, no, they actually claim to be speaking the word of Christ, speaking on behalf of Christ. But you see that it's a false claim. These are false prophets. And we know that it happened. This came to pass. We see it in the, how it, it turned out to happen just like that. In the New Testament church, Ephesus was a great example in fact, you may recall at that time when Paul called for the elders of Ephesus and he spoke with them in Acts chapter 20 and he warned how it would happen. He wrote in verse, or he spoke to them, which recorded in Acts 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We know from the, the epistles of the Apostle John that that very thing indeed happened in those very churches in Ephesus. There were those false teachers who, who introduced destructive heresies, even denying that Christ had come in the flesh. And they indeed showed themselves. They showed themselves to be diseased trees by their bad fruit, not only their doctrine, but even their life. They didn't obey the commands of Christ. They were not loving the brothers, and so forth. And there are other examples, aren't there? We think of the, the Galatian Judaizers, those ones who, who sought to impose circumcision and, 
and, and uh, the other elements of the ceremonial law. They tried to impose that lie that to become a Christian, be a follower of Christ, you in every way you had to come back under the old covenant law in chapter 5 of Galatians with that, that contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. Paul made it very clear that such false doctrines did not lead to that uh, fruit-producing life of life in the Spirit, life in union with Jesus Christ. And so the false prophets were many. We could think of other examples from the New Testament, but not only in the New Testament. We know that it continued to be true down through the ages. It's true even today. There are quote-unquote churches who, who name the name of Christ, but they embrace all kinds of heresies, denying his deity and so forth. There are cults and other churches which are not true churches. We've run into a number of, I would call, false prophets down doing evangelism downtown, those who claim to know the truth and they're actually reading from Bible, even reading the words of Christ but I can tell you it's very clear that they do not know the true gospel. They do not truly know him. And it's also very clear you can recognize them by their fruits. Significant ungodliness. What a sobering reminder. What a, what a, what a tragic truth. But a sobering reminder for all of us. As we are those who proclaim the word of God, whether it's me doing it here from the pulpit or when we're out doing evangelism or in every way as we go forth and we we proclaim and we live out the gospel, let's be sure that we are doing so while showing forth the true fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, true love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's be sure that we are walking in true humility and love. Another very important point I think we can make here, as disheartening as it is to to see so many false prophets out there, so many who are led astray and perverting the the word of Christ, it should be encouraging to remind us that we should not despair into thinking that somehow the kingdom is failing, that the word of Christ has somehow failed. No, when we see it happening, we see that here the words of Christ were true. And he is ruling in his kingdom. Indeed, this is the nature of the kingdom. His word goes forth. Some pervert his word, but Christ is still on the throne. And so such false prophets, while heart-wrenching, tragic, we, we rightly mourn over it, we should nonetheless remember Christ. He's in control. He will deal with the false prophets, and that should encourage us to cling to him and be faithful in holding fast to his true word. Now, where it, where it hits uh, even a bit closer to home is, is to think that even, even in, we don't have to look out at the cult groups, we can even see where at times, even in our own churches, even our own ministers, we've seen those who we thought were true, faithful men of God, shepherds of God's people, and then it seems they've fall, fallen away, and you, you wonder, were these simply wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing? And you note, when you look at that, that third section, verses 21 and 23, you know, with, with, with some of the false prophets, it claimed, seems that there was clear intentional deception. But with some, we see that, that they themselves, they were deceived. They truly thought they were in Christ. They, they, they call him Lord, Lord. They're suddenly overtaken with great surprise when they find out that they will not be entering into the kingdom. We see in verse 22, that they even did works in his name. They prophesied, they cast out demons, and did mighty 
works. Strangely, we see that there are those in the Bible, those whom the Spirit truly empowered to do great works, even though they themselves had never truly responded in faith, never, never saved, never regenerated, never born of the Spirit of Christ. Indeed, we can think back to an Old Testament example. Remember King Saul. Remember how the Bible speaks of the way he was anointed and the Spirit did a, a true work in him. We read how he became a different man with a different heart. First Samuel chapter 10 and verses 6 and 9. It was kind of amazing the way that the Lord took him and enabled him to be king, grabbed him out of obscurity. He was a nothing. And the Lord made him one who was able to to, to serve as Israel's king and for a time even bring Israel deliverance from their enemies. We even read about how Saul, Saul prophesied. And yet, it seems he never truly know, knew the Lord. It's amazing the way that, that the Spirit can, in some sense, change a person without truly regenerating a person. We think of the example of Judas Iscariot, a disciple of Jesus, right, in the New Testament. He was right there with the other disciples to whom Jesus gave authority to, to cast out demons. When, when, when they all came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name, it seems that Judas was right there with them. And so Jesus warns that, that there will be many, many on that last day who will be recounting all of the works they did, spirit-empowered mighty works. But note this, those works will not get them into the kingdom. And I suppose in some ways perhaps that's the key, isn't it? Maybe they were trusting in those works or benefits they would derive from doing those works, but they were not trusting in Christ, not trusting in his work. They'd never come to him truly in faith. They were not trusting his great salvation. Talk about a a wrong response to the word of Christ. Their doing was not in faith. They did not know him. They'd never come to the true saving knowledge of Christ. How tragic. But, but keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that the Lord teaches us this, uh, us this this morning in order for that, that, that good purpose of teaching us then about the right response to the word of God. And that's our last point this morning. Christ teaches us what is that right response to his word. And in a sense, I've already been mentioning it. We've, we've learned about it by way of contrast. Those tragic, uh, dreadful words, I never knew you. As sad as it is that so many will hear that, how marvelous it is by way of contrast. The grace of God in, in, in the lives of those who, by his grace, are known by Christ. That's the issue this morning, isn't it? Do you know Jesus? Have you come to him in true repentance and faith? Have you embraced him as your savior? Have you trusted in his sin-atoning death to wash away your sins? And in embracing him, have you become his? Has he become yours? And is he more precious to you than anything in this world? Dear Christian, if you truly do know him, how marvelous it is, rejoice. It's because Christ has known you by his spirit. He has He has granted you faith. He has drawn you to himself. He has enabled you to know him, not merely by way of outward profession, but in true repentance and faith. You've been united to him by faith to know Christ, to know him. It's not simply to have a kind of distant acquaintance with him, is it? And certainly not 
uh, a call to know him the way I knew about E.F. Hutton as a child. No, it's, it's far greater than that, and that's marvelous. That's staggering because Christ is infinitely greater than E.F. Than e. Hutton or Elon Musk or anyone in this world. This is the one who is eternal God, God the Son. This is the one who became the God-man, the Messiah. This is the one who was crucified but who was raised from the dead and is now exalted and seated at the right hand uh, of the Father in heaven, the one who is exalted high above the nations, to whom belong all honor and glory and all wealth and power, and to think that he's the one who comes to us and brings us to know him as an intimate friend, a brother, our Savior, our Lord. How marvelous to be, to be called into the, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, that's, that's to be called into true fellowship, that covenantal relationship that that bond of love and devotion brothers and sisters as those who know Christ as those who are known by Christ you are loved by Christ and you love him if you truly know him and you're called to love him more than anything else in this world and note this not only do you love him but you will love him and you will be loved by him forever and ever. Think about how those words, I never knew you, teach us about what is true of those who do know him. What this teaches us about our doctrine of perseverance. It's to the hypocrites. Jesus does not say, well, I knew you truly, but at some point I stopped knowing you. No, he says, I never knew you. And what's the contrast? What does he say to you, true believers? He says, not only do I know you, but I will always know you. I will never, no, never stop knowing you. We think of his words in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 31, where he says, my sheep hear my voice. And note, by the way, there's, there's the hope that, that those who are his sheep, who know his voice, who know him truly, will never be led astray to follow a false prophet who would drive them away from Christ. No. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus, the true prophet, speaks a word. It's more powerful than the word of any false prophet. And he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's security. There's love. There's good news this morning, brothers and sisters. You are known by Christ, and you are called unto a life of knowing him and learning to know him more and more. See, that's that's the true power of God, isn't it? They, they were amazed by that astounding authority with which he spoke, as we see again in those concluding verses. It's true. I, I suspect that everyone, almost everyone, if not everyone, was amazed, staggered by that authority. But not everyone came to know him. And you see, the true power, the true demonstration of the authority and power of Christ is in bringing men and women to truly, truly know him. That's, that's the great work of the Spirit, isn't it? Think again. There were those ones who were recounting all of the great works of the Spirit that Jesus did, but we hear that, the, that he never knew them, and by implication, they never knew him again. 
the great work of the Spirit is bringing us to know Christ truly. The the powerful word of Christ and effectual calling us is that he enlightens our minds in the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Christ. Do you believe that's great this morning? Is Christ great to you? Is knowing him of more value to you than anything in this world? I think perhaps sometimes we we find uh, ourselves, rather than seeking Christ himself, maybe we're, we're seeking after attention and praise, which might come from from great works we might be doing in his name. Brothers and sisters, as those who truly know him, as those who are coming to know him more and more, as we do come to know him more and more, more and more we will say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if we know him, if we know Christ, then we will find him, Christ himself. We'll find fellowship with him more satisfying to our souls than any of the popularity, any of the affirmation we might receive from anything we could ever do. And we will certainly respond rightly. Indeed, we will delight in hearing his word, even here as we hear it in worship or as we give ourselves faithfully to being in his word and private worship. We will delight in being in his presence, spending time with him, hearing of him and, 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 and praying to him, casting our cares upon him, communing with him. We'll delight in doing so, not for the way it'll make us look. We'll delight in doing so even when we're all alone with him. We should see this call to respond rightly to his word as a, as a glorious invitation to know him, to learn more and more to know him, to, to know fellowship, even fellowship in obeying his commandments, First John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Fellowship in, in walking with him, fellowship in learning who he is and all of the wonderful ways in which he's revealed in all of the scriptures. We could make so many connections between his words and the Sermon on the Mount and, and we right ha- rightly have to the Old Testament. One that struck me this past week is it made me see that we really ought to see these words before us as a, a great invitation to see and commune with Christ as he's revealed in the Proverbs. Thinking particularly of the fourth section of our text, that language of, of being wise or foolish. To hear Christ, to know Christ, to respond rightly to the word of Christ is to be following the way of wisdom. Christ rightly claims authority over Christ is the voice of wisdom in the Proverbs. Even the house-building imagery should call to mind the words of Proverbs 9.1, wisdom has built her house. The same is true of that, that first section language of being on the right versus the wrong path. There's a path of wisdom. There's a path of folly. There's righteousness versus wickedness. There's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to death. And the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28, or 1524. The path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. It's only in Christ, in union with, with Christ, that we are enabled to live as those fruitful trees that God calls us to be earlier in 
In, in, in that same chapter, Proverbs 15, verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And then earlier, uh, yeah, chapter 3, verse 18, Lady Wisdom is called a, a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold, hold her fast are called blessed. Of course, even beyond the Proverbs, all of these images, they, they remind us of all that, that Israel was called to be. They were called to be those who kept the law of God. They were called to be those who, who walked on that path unto life. They were called to be that, that Psalm 1 blessed man who, who delights himself in the law of God. He meditates upon it day and night. They were called to be that, that, stream, that the tree planted by streams of water which bore fruit in season. Of course, we know that they failed to be so. And we know that all that they failed to be, Christ has so wonderfully become for us. And all that they failed to be, God calls us to be in union with the Lord Jesus. Christ fulfills the Proverbs wisdom teaching for us. He is our wisdom. And so it's to live out of the true knowledge of Christ, it's, it's always to make that choice, that choice to, to live as those who have entered through the narrow gate, those who make that choice to walk the hard path of discipleship. That's the choice we make because that's what Jesus did. It, w- it was not popular for him, was it? It was not easy for him. That, that path unto life was, was a path that led him to the cross where he was crucified for our sins, but he was raised from the dead. It was a a path that led to resurrection, life, and glory, and that's the path to which he's called us. So, brothers and sisters, let's look to Christ, and let's walk that path by God's grace. Let us fix our eyes on him. Let us be those those fruitful trees, even those those, uh, branches that are connected to him, the true vine, John chapter 15, and so In so doing, let us bear much fruit, fruit that will endure forever. Let us be those who always build the the, the house, as it were, of our own lives upon the rock of Christ. In all of these ways, we are those who have been known by Christ, and we know him. And so let us know him in responding rightly to his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you that in Christ Jesus we are those who have responded to that word. And and we would pray, Lord God, that if there are any here this morning who have not responded in true repentance and faith, that today would be the day that their hearts might be broken before you, that they might come and receive Christ, that they might know uh, the way of life and salvation in him. Oh, Lord, bring them to the true knowledge of yourself. And, Father, we pray that you would sanctify us as your people Increase our faith, deepen our love. We love you, O Lord, because you have first loved us. Help us to abide in your love. We pray that you would come to us this day and fill us with your word. Uh, Even the word as we've heard it this day, would you take it and by the power of the Holy Spirit use it to conform us into the image of our Savior. Help us then, O Lord God, in not only hearing the word but putting it into practice in our lives. Help us to live as faithful servants of him, our master, King Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.